Hey, thanks so much for joining us for another episode of the Tree of Life Church podcast. It's our prayer that these messages help connect you to the life, love, and power of Jesus. Mark 6, turn to Mark 6. We're wrapping up our series Every year at this time, I typically do what I call my go messages. We've extended it last year to have three installments, G for generosity. Two weeks ago, we talked about generosity. It's not about your wallet, but about your heart and about your time and all that you do through that and, and the right heart and attitude and, and what you're giving. And we believe we serve a generous God, so generosity should mark his people. So thank you again. All the things that we see and celebrate are because of your generosity, whether it be through giving of resource or giving of yourself. Uh, and then last week we talked about opportunity. As I mentioned, being with the consul general uh, there, I had an opportunity and I just felt God press upon my heart. So opportunities around us all the time. Let's live with eyes open and, and make the most of every opportunity that we have to just share the gospel and the love of Jesus with people. And then today we're gonna wrap it up and destiny is my topic. So generosity plus opportunity equals destiny. If you'll be a generous person and you'll look for the opportunities that he provides, you will walk in and fulfill the destiny, the plan, the purpose that he has for your life. It's a divine destiny, meaning that he's created it and established it. So we're gonna take a look at this passage of scripture and it's one we're probably, it's a pretty famous one. A lot of us are familiar with. If you've been in church, you're familiar with it. If you haven't been in church, you're familiar with it. If you drive by a church, you end up familiar with it. It's, it's when Peter walked on the water. I, I think it's, it might be one of the most famous passages of scripture. And um, we're going to take a look this morning in relation to what that means for you and I and, and the destiny that God has for us, which is an interesting thing to attach to Peter walking on the water. I don't mean to say that we're all going to walk on the water. We're going to meet at the Comal or Guadalupe after service. And no, we're not going to. Uh, but it means that, yeah, it means that there's, there's things in that passage of scripture that really speak to us beyond what we see on the surface. And uh, the surface things are good. I, I taught many messages on having faith to get out of the boat. I've talked about having Jesus in your boat and storms come. And I love all that. And that's right teaching and appropriate and build your faith for sure. But I, but I feel there's something more in there this morning that God wants to bring out and reveal. In fact, I believe it's the underlying thing of the gospel and what you and I need to be mindful of as we continue to walk out every day the destiny God has for us and the things we'll need to do. And, and some of us would say, yeah, we need to calm the storm and yeah, we need to get out of the boat. I agree with all that. But we need to, we need to be uh, mindful of who God is. And I think in this story, you'll see as we walk it out that Jesus is showing that he is Lord of all creation. In fact, it is the theme all throughout the scripture. And when you go to the Old Testament, I'm reminded of when Moses is delivering God's people from bondage. Uh, before he does, he's actually in the wilderness right now and he comes upon a burning bush. It's burning, but it's not burning. God's voice booms from out of the fiery bush and, and says, go deliver my people. And Moses says, well, who do I say sent me? And God says, tell him that I am. <laughs> so which Moses is probably like waiting. Like there's more, right? Like I am, like there's more to that, right? I am what? And basically God was implying, I am whatever it is that is needed, I am. And so God's theme throughout all of scripture, we see that, and I believe so powerfully in this passage of scripture. So I believe that there's something perhaps that we'll see that maybe we haven't seen before that will encourage us on our journey. And so uh, let's go ahead and start reading Mark 6, 45 through 51. Uh, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get in a boat and go ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Uh, After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And shortly before dawn, went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they cried out. Oh, they thought he was a ghost. And they cried out. 
because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. Uh, a great story uh, told by Mark and I understand when we're looking in the gospel of Mark, Mark is the writer in a sense, the Holy Spirit inspiring it, but maybe you don't know this, he is writing about the activity and teaching of Peter primarily in this book. And so Peter basically then is, is with Mark and telling Mark what to write uh, on the unction of the Holy Spirit, but then talking about the details of what is to put in the book. And I find that very fascinating because really when we read uh, Mark then, we read basically things that perhaps has Peter's input talking about his teaching in his life. And when we see in this story, a couple of things just jump out immediately. Uh, one of those for you and I is, and we talked about last week, anytime we launch out with what God has for us in pursuit of, the, of, of what he has for us. There's, the enemy has opposition. So between your landing, launching and your landing, you'll typically find a storm. But I wanna tell you today, even though we know that to be true, we also have to understand that when we pursue the things of God, a lot of times there will be storms will come and it doesn't mean that you're headed in the wrong direction, but it means you're headed in the right direction. And there's a lot of times, I think sometimes we justify our not wanting to stay the course or to push through a storm of something by saying, well, it must be the devil trying to block me. And this, or, or let me say it this way, this must not be the right way. And can I say that a lot of times it is exactly the right way. That's why you're facing opposition. And here's what I found when we face resistance, there is a revelation in resistance. And, there, and the truth is for you and I, and sometimes there's things we won't learn or know unless there's a resistance facing us, like the wind blowing against our boat, straining at the oars. You find out who you are and, and what your commitment like is with God, uh, number one. But more importantly, you find out who God is. Because here's the truth. We want smooth sailing, right? Okay, I'm gonna launch out of what God has. And, and because God put me on this course, everything's gonna go smooth. He never promises that. But if everything went smooth and all of a sudden the wind, instead of being in their face, is at their back and they arrive at the other shore, they'd be like, man, we made good time. That was easy. I don't even break a sweat on those oars today, right? That was awesome. And that wind was just blowing the right direction. Or if something happens another way to our in, in ease, we'll give other people credit. Can I tell you, we give everything and everyone credit when things are going our way. But when we're facing opposition and we make the other shore, there's only one person who gets credit and that's God, right? When you push through that, that wind and get the other side, you can, man, I never faced a wind like that. That must be God. So I think a lot of times God will take us through a storm just so you remember who really got you to the other side. Because we like to give everyone, even ourselves, credit for it a lot of times. I think it's important for us to understand that sometimes it just means we're on the right path. And so... Peter's uh, talking with Mark about writing these thoughts in the story. <clears throat> and in the gospel of John, John says there's so many things Jesus did. They, there's not enough paper to contain all the amazing things Jesus did. So we understand the Holy Spirit who's, who's inspiring the writers is, is trying to capture certain things that will really portray who Christ is. And the Old Testament even speaks to Christ. And so we see everything that's in the Bible, they've could have added a lot of things in there. There could have been so many details, but we feel they're all Holy Spirit inspired. And so we see this time of writing with Peter and Mark. And then we look over the same stories also found in the book of Matthew. Matthew was going to tell his side of the story, if you will. And let's take a look at that starting in verse 22, Matthew 14, 22. And when we read this at some point, you'll see this, uh, you'll see the whole time the stories are very similar, but at some point they deviate a little bit on a couple details. Let's see if you notice that. Number uh, verse 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. 
After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Sounds pretty familiar. Sounds a lot like the uh, other recount of the story in Mark. Verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. All right, here's a detail that Mark and Peter did not include. So Matthews want to tell the whole story. So he tells this and in verse 28, verse 29, Jesus said, come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. And I would say right here, it's like, why wouldn't Peter have Mark include that detail? I mean, if I'm writing the story about me, you're going to be hearing about this more than anything else. I mean, you know that one time, like, there's 12 people on the boat and I was the only one that got out because Jesus said, get out. And from as far as I know, and right about, as far as I know, no one else has ever attempted, well, no one else has ever walked on wire. Probably a lot of people have attempted. I'll be talking about how cool that was to be the only person, you know, I'm the only person, right? You know, and I know people say, well, you eventually sank, but yeah, but for about a, you know, three, four, five steps, it was pretty awesome. That's just me. I would be, you know, highlighting, hey, don't forget. Hey, remember the time when, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but it's interesting that Peter left out that detail about his own story, but maybe it was because of what Matthew wrote next. Verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. That doesn't sound fun. It's the first part, right? It's like everything was cool up to verse 29 and I'd be just shouting out from the mountaintop, right? And every writing you need to include the, hey, don't forget to include that walking on the water part right there. And then all of a sudden here he sinks and he decides, yeah, maybe I should leave that part out. Now we can speculate why that would be. And there's a lot of, I don't know, ideas that we would think of. Maybe we think it's because it reflects failure. Maybe we think it reflects not having enough faith and I don't know that to be true. I, I wonder that myself. I, I feel like these disciples are, are in a sense, um, operating on instruction of Jesus. So don't forget, there's 12 guys in the boat when Jesus said, go to the other side. And they're rowing and they're straining, they're straining, and they're rowing. All of a sudden, Jesus is there and Peter cries out. And God says, or Jesus says, hey, come out, get out of the boat, walk on the water. I don't know. Sometimes I think Peter gets a, a bit more of a highlight uh, uh, on what he did because we're trying to talk about faith. But can I just say for a second, it takes a lot of faith to stay in the boat and keep rowing against the wind when you can't see the other shore. When you face opposition, it takes a lot of faith to press on when you don't know if you're even going to make it and it looks like you're not. So I get it. Peter wants to step out in faith and I think that's awesome and step out and get out of the boat, maybe make his own way. But man, hats off to the guys that stayed in the boat, straining at the oars, keep pressing on because they had a word from Jesus to get to the other side, even when they could not see the other side. And so here's the story that, again, that's being talked about and, and recounted and by Peter and Mark and they leave it out. And now Matthew is adding this piece in here. In verse 30, it says that when he saw the wind he began to sink. Now, they all had a word from Jesus initially to go to the other side. And in an exchange between Peter and Jesus, Jesus has come out of the boat. And so at that word, Peter got out of the boat. And then it says he got his eyes on the wind. He saw the wind. He had heard the word, but then he saw the wind. And can I just say this morning, sometimes we pay more attention to what we see than what God said. Sometimes we pay more attention to what we see than what God said. And now, now this is a verbal instruction, but for you and I, it's all in the scripture. 
that somehow we're more moved with the circumstances that we see around about us or feel or how it's impacting things than standing on the word that he's already given us, he's already spoken in his word for you and I. And it's important for us to keep our eyes on the word, hold on to the word. Anytime you give more focus to what you see than to what God said, you begin to sink. Anytime you get more focused to what you see in your marriage, in your family, in your business, in your community, in your schools, to what you see than what God said, you begin to sink. And so we need to make sure we keep our eyes on the word and not the wind. He's, he's, he's putting, uh, he's doing pretty good. Honestly, he's doing pretty good. He steps out of the boat uh, based on what he heard. And then we know faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. All you need is one word from God. I mean, all you need is one word from God. Peter was, wasn't walking on water. He was walking on God's word. Come on. He wasn't walking on water. He was walking on a word from God. God has a lot of words for you in the Bible. He's got a word for your marriage. He's got a word for your family. He's got a word for your body, a word for your mind, a word for your finances, a word for your relationships. And we can walk on that. And when you have a word from God, the wind can come and blow, the rain can fall, the waves can crash and beat on your boat, but you still have a word from God to stand on, amen? And nothing can take that away and no one can take that away. You know, really, um, when it comes to the difference between the two stories, I'm like, come on, Peter, I'd be telling all about that story. But the truth is for you and I, there's a lot of things we leave out of our story when we tell other people. I mean, that's just the truth of it. It's a little shocking that Peter left this out because Peter, right, this would be the perfect Instagram story, right? I walked on water, but I'm gonna leave the reality of I sank out off of it, right? Because we know when you see Instagram and Facebook, it's all the highlight of the best stuff and we leave out all. It's like Peter wanted Mark to write the Instagram story of, the, of that moment. And then Matthew decided to give the real picture here. But there's, there's parts of our story we wanna leave out with other people because we may think they think that we failed them. I don't want anybody to think I didn't have enough faith. I don't want anybody to know that I've struggled with that. I don't want anybody to know that. And we keep, we keep stuff to ourselves, and, and at times, but, but, and I think that's our first thought here, maybe because he was thinking that he wanted to leave it out, but maybe there's a different reason. And I want to share with you this morning what I think it really was. When Peter is telling the story with Mark years later, because this event happened, it wasn't like they got to the other side and then they dried off their paper and you know, their, their journal and began to write about the story that just happened. That's, that's not what happened. It's years later that they sit down and the Holy Spirit's instructing them to write the scripture here. And then they're talking about filling in the details. And so all of a sudden, maybe, maybe Peter discovered that it was, it was, it was, there's something more significant to the story. Maybe it wasn't that Peter wanted to leave out the part that he uh, began to sink. Maybe it wasn't that he didn't want anyone to know he failed or maybe to look like he lacked faith and maybe he got his eyes on the opposition instead of the opportunity. Maybe Peter discovered at the time of writing this, there's something more significant. Take a look at Mark 6, 5, 1, 51. Then, back to Mark's story, then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down and they were completely amazed. Peter said, it's not significant what happened when I got out of the boat. Peter said, don't tell them about what happened when I climbed out of the boat. Tell them what happened when he climbed in the boat. Tell them what happened when he came in the situation. Tell them what happened when he came in the midst of our circumstance. Tell them what happened when he came into our marriage. Tell them what happened when he came into our family. Tell them what happened when he came into our business. Tell them what happened when he came in, not when I stepped out, but when he stepped in. 
It's not even realizing at this point, now we're starting to see really the underlying point of the story, really of all stories that we see in scripture. And it's not about what he does, it's about who he is. He came in the boat. He came in the boat. I climbed out of the boat, but he climbed in the boat. Jesus came in the boat. It's not important what happened when Peter stepped out. The wind did not die down because Peter came to Jesus. The wind died down because Jesus came to Peter. And is that not the gospel story? That God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that he came to you. He loved you first. He's chasing you down. That's the gospel story. And you couldn't be good enough. You couldn't earn it. Not that I could do everything right. Not that I could get my act together. He doesn't need you to get his act together. You come to him as you are, and then together you'll get your act together. That's the gospel story. It's not about you pursuing him. It's about him pursuing you because of who he is. I'm not praising him because I got out of the boat. I'm praising him because he got in. He got in the boat. He got into my situation. He got in and the wind died down. The wind stopped. Not because I stepped out, but because he stepped in. Not that I love God, but because God loves me. And you might be in a storm right now in your life. What's going on in your life? But I want to say this this morning. Help is on the way. Help is on the way. They were amazed. They were amazed, it says. It says they were amazed. The wind died down and he didn't even have to tell it to die down. And, you know, last week we, we shared the story a little bit about the storm and him addressing the storm. We took the story beyond that, but <clears throat> story in the Bible where Jesus tells the disciples, let's go on the other side and they get in the boat and he's asleep. Jesus is a storm comes out of nowhere. They wake him up because they're afraid for their life. And Jesus gets up, stands at the front of the boat and rebukes. The Bible says rebuke, strong work, takes authority, rebukes the wind and the waves, declares him, releases his power, releases his authority. Not in this story. Not in this story. It doesn't say Jesus had to say anything. It says the storm stopped because Jesus got in the boat. And in other words, when he sat down, the storm sat down, if I could say it that way. Listen, all I need is his presence. When the presence of God entered the boat, everything changed. Everything calmed down because his presence. And see, here's what we need to be mindful of. On the way to our destiny, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be resistance. And you and I want to cry out for God's power to be released. We want, we're chasing the power of God in our moment of a storm in our life when we should be chasing the presence of God. The presence of God that is with you from the time you said, yes, Lord, that will never leave you or forsake you. The presence of God is the power of God. And we need to be chasing the presence of God. And as an outflow of that, everything calms. I need the power of God in my marriage, you bet. So how much presence of God do you have there? The power of God in my family, absolutely you do, especially if you got teenagers. Come on, somebody. God better be present, right? His presence is his power. And the world we live in today, I see the power of God, right? How much presence do you got operating then? What's going on in your home? How much presence is happening in your life? He didn't calm it with his words. He calmed it with his presence. His presence is power. Look at Mark 6, 52. The next scripture in the story, in the book of Mark. And I love this. So we just have been talking about the storm and Jesus got in the boat and he sat in the boat and everything calmed down. And then here we go to this. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What? 
Have you read that? We see, we read the story and we stop short. We don't finish it. Well, you gotta finish the story to see what God's trying to reveal here, what the I am's trying to reveal. He's talking more about his presence and his power. He's talking about more about who he is and not what he's done. But let me explain that to you because that was an interesting scripture. If you could put that back up on the screen for me. It was, they had not understood about the loaves. We're talking about bread and we're talking about boats. It's one of those things that's like, did when you guys were writing this out, did you all of a sudden get the papers out of order? <laughs> I mean, sometimes if I'm writing stuff and it's late at night, like last night, I can't even read what I wrote. Was it one of those moments you guys were up too late writing all this out and you added this piece that was supposed to be meant for another story? Because it doesn't sound like it fits, but when you're talking about the I am, it does. Understood about the loaves in their hearts and, and their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand. What, what does bread have to do with a boat? Jesus mentions a significant miracle. What you may not know, right before this story, Jesus feeds the 5,000. This happens immediately after he feeds the 5,000. And actually he fed 20,000, right? We know that 5,000 men and women and children besides. And so they get done with the greatest miracle of that time, a powerful miracle of that time, feeding 20,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. And all of a sudden they get in the boat and they face the storm. Jesus comes walking on the water. He gets in with them. The storm calms down. And then he looks at him. He doesn't talk about faith about the storm. Why didn't you, why are you so afraid? He says, did you already forget about the loaves? And they're like, what is this guy? What is he talking about? You know, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 is so significant. It's in all the gospels. It's in all four gospels. When Jesus fed 5,000 men, women, and children up to 20,000 people, this miracle is significant because as Jesus was feeding the crowd, he was revealing himself. It wasn't about what he was doing. It was about what he was revealing. It wasn't about what he did. It was about who he is. And so Jesus is revealing himself now to the crowd with using loaves and fishes. And so he's being revealed as the Christ. He's being revealed as the I am. Everyone ate and got their fill. 20,000 people from five loaves and two fishes. What's interesting is the disciples almost missed the miracle that day. Because if you'll remember the story, then everybody was hungry. They'd been preaching all day. And Jesus says, what do we have to feed these guys? And all, all these people are like, man, we, we, don't, we should send them all home. Let's just send them all home, right? We'll pick the crusade back up tomorrow. We never really expected to go this long. They'll come back. Look, if they don't even want to leave, they'll come back, send them all home. If they would have listened or they would, Jesus would have listened to them, they would have missed a great miracle, but they would have missed a great revealing of Jesus as the Christ. See, it wasn't about what he was doing. It's about what he was revealing. And the disciples would have all missed it had they sent the crowd away. They almost missed the miracle so in verse 52, it says they were amazed that the wind had died down, but they did not understand about the loaves. It just happened right before the storm. A bigger miracle in a sense had just happened than what they were experiencing right now. They didn't understand all of it, but something bigger had already happened, revealing the Christ, which was greater than calming the storm. Again, the greater miracle is always about who he is, not what he does. And we get focused on what he does and we miss the bigger miracle of who he is. A bigger miracle had just happened, but they missed it because they wanted him to do something. God has already done the most significant thing and that is to save you. 
Jesus is your Savior. He's already done the greatest miracle, the biggest thing. So what he's saying to you and I is like, whatever you're facing right now, it's not about me doing something to intervene. It's about me becoming or having become something, someone to you. I am the I am in your life. Don't forget that. In the midst of the storm, it's not about me doing something. It's about you remembering who I am to you. And I am the I am. I am what? Whatever you need. Whatever you need. The bigger miracle sometimes gets missed because of the thing right in front of us. But we always need to, the stories tell me to go back to the I am, go back to who he is, not looking at what he can do. They understood the loaves on one level because they ate and got full themselves. They understood the loaves on another level because the crowds were fed, 20,000 people. But what they did not understand is that Jesus did not feed the multitude so they could know what he did. He fed the multitude so they could know who he is. And the lesson of the loaves is not, is not I am your Chick-fil-A. That's God's fast food place. The lesson of the loaves is not, you'll, the lesson of the loaves is You'll never hunger again. That's the lesson of the loaves, the I am. The lesson of the loaves is I am. I am the bread of life. It was me when you were hungry. It was me when you were lonely. It was me when you were depressed. It was me when you were sick. It was me when you were in bondage. It was me when you were addicted. It was me on the mountaintop and it was me in the valley. It was me then, it is me now. It's not what you thought that would get you through. It's me who gets you through. My presence is with you in the boat. In other words, I am is with you in the boat. And they missed it. And they're the ones that handed out the bread <laughs> to the people. They didn't get it. And they experienced a miracle. Again, you can experience the miracle and miss the significance of who he is. So God saved you. But what did God save you for? You can experience a miracle of salvation, but what is the significance of it? Let me say it this way. He didn't save you from, he saved you for. He didn't save you from something, he saved you for something. For a divine purpose, a divine destiny to change this world, to make a difference on this planet. What did he save you for is the question we need to ask. The, the mission, the destiny. The miracle is so significant here that it happens again. And anytime something's repeated in scripture, you need to pay attention. <laughs> And so the miracle of the feeding of 5,000, it happens again, but this time it's 4,000, but the miracle happens again. So Mark 8, 14 through 21, here's what the word says. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Listen, the hold on, back to 14. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. What were they doing? Loafing around? You guys got, first service kind of booed me off the stage almost. I'm like, Seriously. Hey, just be glad I don't say all the things that pop into my head. Just be glad that didn't happen, right? The disciples forgot to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Don't miss it, he's going to say. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Don't, don't miss what's happening here. They discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. <laughs> Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see and understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? Listen to this. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? Seven, they answered. And he said to them, do you still not understand? And I don't blame him so much because I'm trying to figure this out at this time. 
Okay, well, the number five, five loaves, that's the number of grace. Okay, that makes sense to me. 12 baskets full, 12, 12 disciples, that's the number of government. And I'm a big numbers guy in the scripture. And then seven, seven is the perfect number. And then I got nothing for the 4,000. But anyways, but what does this all mean? And then I thought the significance is not in the numbers. But go back to verse 19. Here's what it says. When I broke the five loaves, verse 20 says this. Verse 20 says, and when I broke the seven loaves, maybe the significance isn't in the numbers. Maybe it's in the breaking. When I broke the loaves, when I broke the loaves, when I broke the loaves. See, what they didn't really know is the significance of the miracle is the bread had to be broken. They really couldn't fully understand this until he went to the cross, until he was crushed for our transgressions, until he was bruised for our iniquities. See, the bread couldn't be given until it was broken. And John 6, 35 says this, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. There's our I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He is the bread that was broken. So you don't have to be. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 24, our communion scripture says this, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you as he's around the last supper with his disciples. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. Goes on to say this in the next verse, verse 24. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, do so in remembrance of me. Your destiny is not based on what he does, but on who he is. He's the bread of life. The lesson of the loaves is not that you're broken. The end of the story is different. The lesson of the loaves is not that you're broken. It's that he was broken for you. So you don't have to be. When the storm comes to try and break you and break your marriage and break your family and break you, you can know that he was broken for you because he is the bread of life. It's not what he does, it's who he is that will get you to your destiny. And even though the storm's rage trying to break you, don't focus on that. It's his presence. That's the power. It's who he is, not what he does. The story does not end in brokenness, however. The story ends in fullness. Because <laughs> he said at the first 5,000, I got 12 baskets full left over. At the fourth house, I got, I got seven baskets full left over. Listen, it begins with brokenness, his brokenness. But it ends in fullness. Fullness for you and I. The fullness of his provision, the fullness of his presence, the fullness of his power, the fullness of his grace and mercy. You trade your brokenness for his fullness. And that's the gospel. And that's what I believe this story really is about. That's why I believe Peter didn't want to tell his part because it wasn't about who got out of the boat. It was who got in the boat. It was about trading your brokenness for his fullness. And that in the midst of any storm will get you to your destiny because he is a good and faithful God. Amen. Amen. So here's what we want to do, because there has to be a response. There has to be a response. So let's all stand to our feet. Thanks again for joining us this week. We pray that this message encouraged and inspired you. 
If you want to find out how you can be a part of Tree of Life, just go to our website, treeoflifechurch.org. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend.